Kelly Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson, the president of Bioscience Bridge, a heart-centered brand consultancy. And my co-host is Kirsten Gouldy. Hi, everyone. My name is Kirsten Gouldy, and I'm the CEO of Pure Intelligy and an intuitive advisor. Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's great to be on another great episode here. And Kirsten, I'm reminded right at the outset before we uh, start talking with our guest, if anyone wants to continue this conversation, sort of the after show, the after program. Is every the party other, after the party. The is after that what you're party. Saying? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Tell us about those uh, teas that you have on Fridays. Yeah. So every other Friday, I host what's called Soul Tea and Conversations. And it is a peer to peer community where we invite anyone who wishes to have a deeper dialogue and find community with like souled people people who are really on the same path and to self-awareness and self-realization and growth, where they can engage in a community that talks the same language or at least has the capacity to hear them, even if we don't talk the same language. So we meet every other Friday. It is free, no need to pay. Just come and enjoy the conversation and meet other individuals. You can find the class on www.pureintellikey.com slash classes. So listeners, I encourage you to get your cup of tea and join that conversation. Well, for today's episode, we're so happy to have as our guest, a author, a speaker, a workshop leader, and someone who really tackles and helps us tackle innovation and problem solving and creativity. And our guest today is Melanie Parrish. Melanie, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me here. It's super exciting to just get to talk to you guys about leadership and, you know, what's important in life. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're here for. Well, Melanie, I love the book title. You know, I mentioned you're an author and your book is called The Experimental Leader. And obviously we'll get into the leadership part. That's the the subject of our program. But I'm so curious as to this adjective of experimental. Why is it important for us to experiment as leaders? Well, I think that we already do this. When we have a status quo that we want to change, we start to try things and we start to experiment. And I've noticed this in organizations, but what happens traditionally when people start to experiment is people's careers, they live and die by their ideas. So we've all been on a team where somebody had an idea and they invested a ton of money and the idea didn't work out. Then that leader loses credibility in the organization. But when we adopt in leadership an experimental culture, when we start to think of experimenting as something that we can all buy into together, we can plan our next experiment together, but one leader isn't on the line for whether it works or not. And we also, you know, there's some really good best practices around experimenting, you know, making the experiment safe to fail or small enough so that there's buy-in for um, almost a consensus sort of environment for how those ideas are implemented or tried. And then you can look and you can say, hey, I have this idea, we tried it, it didn't work. What's our next experiment that we wanna try? As opposed to an idea that failed. 
That's so good. Yeah, because in this, uh, I guess, corporate environment of, hey, we're demanding innovation. Isn't it interesting we put those two words together? I'm demanding innovation. But you're right, couching it more contingently as an experiment gives you a little bit more leeway, doesn't it? It gives you some freedom. It also, you know, if you name it an experiment, you can also decide up front how much you want to invest in that experiment. It's not the direction forward. It's something you're going to try. So you may decide that you want to, you know, create a prototype because you don't want to invest in it long-term. You want to invest in a proof of concept. You want to, you want to get something small enough that you can try it and see how it works. The, the phrase and, and, proof of concept is so good, isn't it? Oh, yes. And, oh, I mean, yes. We use it a lot, but when you put it in this context, Melanie, you know, that it is an experiment and we're just trying to prove the concept. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that what we did with our podcast, Mark? I, I, yeah. <laughs> After 65 episodes, I'm not sure if we proved the concept or not, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Melanie, uh, give us some sort of practical application. You know, I think we all know that that is the way we should, you know, come into this with uh, this experimental mindset. You know, oftentimes we call it the beginner's mindset. We're just going to learn and see. How does that work in the boardroom, in, yeah. in the corporate setting? And I will say that marketers are really good at this. You know, we're going to try this spend and then we're going to we're going to look at whether our ads worked and then we're going to make some tweaks and see if they work better the next time. And then we're going to make some tweaks and see if they work better the next time. So you're sort of in this experimental culture. So marketers are already really good at this. Sometimes in terms of, you know, big rollouts, I work a lot in tech. So in tech projects, sometimes we commit too many dollars. We go too far down the road till we're starting to facilitate really good feedback loops. So an experiment, in order to call it an experiment, you have to be collecting data, which means you're going to need some feedback loops. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because I too um, come from telecommunications and technology. So I understand what you're speaking to, right? And oftentimes when rolling out technology, you have your beta users who are your feedback loops, right? Where you're able to get distinct, you know, real-time information outside of your room. But what I also, what you're also speaking to is, you know, no leader wants to fail, right? And no leader wants to have their, because there's a lot of passion oftentimes behind these projects that you're launching. So there's ego, there's fear, there's wanting to perform. And to your point, there's also gathering momentum around the project, right? You need buy-in to ensure we're all, uh, the, the team, really supports that project in totality because there's no piece of that puzzle that's any less valuable. How do, what, what is your process in this experimental leadership? What processes do you deploy to really support that level of being able to experiment but also have successful outcomes? Yeah, when I start talking to a leader about experimentation, what I find is people read my book and that makes me really happy. That's great. They might get one piece, but the book's designed to take years, like years to work through. It's not, it's not a quick solution. So I always say the best place to start is with the language of experimentation. So if you start, if people propose things, you say, you know, what do you want to try next? You know, instead of you know, what, where will we go? You know, it, it's just easing off the pressure 
And then how will you know if it worked? Just asking those two simple questions. What do you want to try next? And how will we know if it worked? And then what kind of data are you going to collect? They're very simple questions. They sound so simple. It's amazing that it's a book. Like these are simple questions, but we don't do this in our organizations. We try things and we go so far down the track that we're not collecting data along the way. We're not, we're not listening to our customers. We're not hearing what they like, what they don't like, and where they want us to go next. And so just those three things, what are you going to try? How will you know if it worked? And what kind of data are you going to collect? Really help change the landscape around experimentation. But the, the important thing about leadership in this is that as you're doing this, as you're helping your people experiment more, you're supporting them as a leader. The people that are on your team, you're not asking them to live and die by their ideas. You're asking, you're supporting them. And the questions you're asking are, hey, what'd you learn? And then that helps them go to the next piece of what will they try next? You're taking them down a much more complex, deep process than uh, just propose something and it works or not. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to, to put the context of failure into this experimentation mindset. I mean, you, you think about any R&D pipeline, you might have 100 products, 99 of them fail. Yeah. Okay. And, and the, that's the truth, right? right. And, and the head of R&D has to stand up and say, on a PowerPoint, here's my 99 failures, and yet have some personal gravitas to be able to stand there. No, no matter the motivational quote that Edison found 99 ways to not make a light bulb. That makes a great poster on the wall, but it, I don't know if it helps your you know, EQ when you're standing up in front of the board talking about your 99 failures. What, right. what do you find uh, in these kind of highly innovation-driven companies where there is such an attrition of ideas? Try it. It didn't work. Try again. Because you're saying, what's next? How do I keep that mindset? Well, I think that it's continuing to go back to those deep conversations. What are we trying? Because sometimes like in the mess of leadership, like leadership gets really messy when you're running and you have deadlines and you have deliverables and you're doing performance evals and you're like, this is a conversation I had with one person today. In the midst of that, how do you remember what you're trying? Um, and like management attention is the place I always focus. Like make sure you're looking at what you want to measure. So leaders wander off all the time. They wander off, they lose their focus. They're just wandering in the desert, trying to do something. And usually it's meetings and lots of meetings. And then there's something that blows up and they crisis manage and they forget to just pay attention to the thing that they want to have happen. So I always say that just pay attention. Paying attention is incredibly powerful. It works. Mm -hmm. mm. And how do you quantify that or make that measurable, right? I agree with you that paying attention, you lose the vision. Having been in corporate for a lot of years in the C-suite as a CFO and compliance officer, you're right. You're in more meetings and it's not even fair how many meetings you have to show up to. But keeping the awareness on the vision, the mission, the goal, the, you know, customer, what the customer really needs, not just our ideas, all of these aspects. How do you put that into practical application? Like, how does that become, 
I mean, I don't mean to use the terms win-lose, but how does that become a win? Like, how do you cross that over a finish line? I think that's an amazing question. And I think since I work in tech, I like Kanban boards, Trello boards, those kinds of things. But the concept of it, Trello can, you can also wander in the desert on Trello. So I use really <laughs> simple Trello boards. What are, what's your work in progress? And I always ask that people have a, a due date set that they know when they're going to look at it again. Not what the due date is of the task, but when do they want to draw their attention to it again? So in their work in progress, you may, you may not look at it until, you know, you're not going to look at it until it turns red or whatever happens in, on that card. But if you look at it again, then you have a shot at paying attention on a regular cadence. And so that's how I, that's the tool I would, that's one tool I use. That I have to tell you that in and of itself, right? I love that. Not the day you're going to start working on it, but the date you're going to begin to look at it again, because oftentimes it, there's thought and there's some planning and there's some idea generation that needs to occur before you even begin to apply yourself at the task, right? If you simply speaking through my own process, but if you have the task, by the time I get there, I have to start from the beginning in my thought process. Well, and very few of us are doing work so simple that we can pick it up on the due date and, and <laughs> accomplish this is not, seven this years is, to write a book. I was going to say, this is not a junior high school book report. <laughs> oh, we're going to do that the night before. Yeah, I think my son just did that. He's 15 yeah, and yeah, he did yeah. half term in one evening. Absolutely, maybe. we've all been there. So Melanie, I'd like to take the wandering part a little bit further. One of our mutual business connections, Dan Eds, wrote a book about a leadership principle. And we had him on our podcast a few weeks back. But he was also literally wandering away that the CEOs, the COOs are in such a uh, sort of rotation and turnover that in the midst of a project, in the midst of an R&D or in the midst of a test, the CEO literally changes. And too often, it's like, well, that wasn't invented here, first of all. Or second, I have no idea what you're working on. Bring me up to speed. And all of a sudden, you, you seem like you're going back. 10 spaces on that experiment. What's been your experience uh, with that phenomenon? You know, I was just having a a conversation with a leader today that I thought was really interesting. And in tech, there's so much turnover. Like people are always leaving to go to another organization. Their salary doubles somewhere else and they get an offer they can't refuse. And so you lose the manager that you love that brought you on board and you have to resell yourself over and over again in organizations. And there's friction in a hiring process. When somebody takes a risk on you, you know, they, they go to bat for you. They fight for your salary. They do all of that. And when you get a new manager, sometimes that manager just doesn't, they don't value you in that way. And, and in this conversation I was having, we realized that, that he actually needs to get a job offer so that he can create some friction. So his manager can choose him or not choose him because his role is at risk. His ability to work in the organization is at risk because he doesn't have that person going to bat for him. And so I I think that that attention changes in organizations, even around people. And we have to, um, I always think about flow. I love thinking about flow. How does the energy flow? How does 
Um, do you have force forward or are you constrained in some way? Like has the energy stopped flowing in some way? And I just noticed this phenomenon in tech of managers and leaders leaving and how it constrains flow. It's funny. I have a lot of young professionals who are very high performing and in sales, there's an incredible amount of turnover as well. And that impact is tremendous. And also when you have the service organizations, especially my, a lot of my people are in the technology industry, but when you have a service organization that supports the technology you're selling or the customers and those engineers change all the time, it, is, it impacts the customer greatly. And it, it, they still have yet to figure out well processes to support that. So I love that you're speaking to the energy. What's the solution? I mean, in this case, I think, I think you really have to become aware of that flow, the power of friction and manage your own career. You have to be willing to have hard conversations up. You have to say, look, that should hurt my feelings that you didn't get a bat for me. Do you, you know, are you, is there something that we can do to improve our relationship so that you will feel like you can go to bat for me? How do you feel like, you know, I can develop, like you want to give them skin in the game. So if you can't get them to put skin in the game, then you may have to leave. For all the data I've seen, there's options. So often people who jump ship get a raise. So it's not that the company's going to lose out, but for each individual fighting for their own career, it may be that they have to leave in order to find that flow again. So interesting to look at it that way. And Melanie, obviously in this experimentation flow, there's a lot of obstacles, constraints, hurdles. And as I was getting to know you, this theory of constraints studies, uh, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that and how that brings some almost, I guess, rigor around the thoughts of constraints. Yeah, I love talking about this. Um, there's a guy named Eliyahu Goldrat who worked in manufacturing, uh, like on factory floors a lot. And um, he came up with a, something called the theory of constraints. And he wrote a book called The Goal. It's a great quick read. But the idea around constraints management or the, the idea behind the theory of constraints is that you want to focus on your biggest bottleneck. Um, it, I always say it's the way to supercharge your leadership. And really, you don't need to focus on anything else. You always have one big bottleneck. And if you focus on that, you, you can be singular of focus. If we're back to that idea of what do you pay attention to? If you pay attention to your biggest bottleneck, then that's, that's at the heart of that attention. And he actually said that management attention is the biggest bottleneck in North America. Uh, <laughs> managers actually are the problem in moving forward. I'm shocked. <laughs> None of us are shocked, right? Like, yeah. I want to picture him presenting that paper and everybody standing <laughs> ovation. <laughs> yeah. But really? it's interesting you say that. It's like man managerial attention. Does that mean you know, looking at the people or looking at the process or looking at, you know, what? where should managers' attention be then? I think it's on all that. And it's that exquisite awareness that you've asked people to spend their lives working for you, for the organization, and to pay attention to what they're doing and to hold that curiosity deeply about what they're doing. 
and then to help support them, to help them clear their own bottlenecks so they can do it better. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Mm. Well, our guest is Melanie Parrish. Her book is called The Experimental Leader. And now I think, Melanie, you know, we, we've been emphasizing a lot this and highlighting the experiment part of it. Now, now let's talk about the leader. You know, what, mm -hmm. what kind of mindset, practice, you know, bringing themselves to a different level that they should be elevating to a different leadership level? What, what do you think about that? Well, I had this really interesting conversation with my husband and he was talking about being in school and that they were trying to identify um, natural leaders when he was like in middle school or something. And what they were looking for, and, and so they all got it all tied up in trying to present themselves as leaders. But what he realized was all of them, you know, they were either trying to be dominant or they were trying to be charismatic but they weren't actually leading anything because they were middle schoolers and they didn't have anything to lead. So I realized, um, I've realized for myself that I don't believe leadership is something that you are. I think that it's something that you learn and it's a set of skills. It's a way of being, it's a way of thinking, but we're not natural leaders. There, there may be natural leaders. There may be people who luck into a personality that allows them to do those things more naturally. But I think many leaders struggle when they get promoted into a leadership position. They, they, may, I mean, they may have somebody good to emulate, but they may just pick somebody bad to emulate. And so my life's work, the thing that I, my stake in the ground is around teaching people how to um, create a leadership that they feel really proud of, that they feel good about, that is repeatable and that they can count on the skills that they have rather than just sort of lucking into it. Mm -hmm. And you're really delineating. I love that you brought up this word charisma because we do think of the people who come into the room and light up the room or, you know, boy, we really would like to work with that person because they're so what positive and energetic or whatever they are. But you're really distinguishing that from a true sense of we're going to carry out our mission here. They share a passion with what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And a charismatic leader, someone who is charismatic, you know, they probably have a good shot at getting people to follow them. I hope they have some place that they're going. That's the problem with being a charismatic leader is that um, if you don't know exactly where you're going, you can't lead people there. So I, I really like the idea of developing teams where there's feedback loops and conversation and many people bring ideas to the table and those ideas get talked about and nurtured and cared for it and then experimented with rather than one leader saying, charge, let's go. Uh, hmm. Because they may or may not know where to go. The, the same is true for sort of the dominant leader that might have a force of character that they can try through force to get people to go where they want to go. They have the same problem if they don't know the answers. And we aren't living in a world that has the answers. We're living in a world of innovation and, um, and unknowns. We have to do alchemy. We have to create something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And you also spoke to the need for having a team, team building, team community, innovation. Yes, sometimes you have, you know, the, the Teslas that come in or the Einsteins that have 
but they themselves also had teams that they worked with that helped support what they were, the information they were getting. The idea of this experimental leader seems to have a beautiful overlay in a team concept where you really get to bring your thought leadership to the table and your visionary skills to the table and your innovative skills to the table. Is it, am I understanding that correctly? That this really enables for that innovation to thrive? Yes, you're pointing to something so important. I spent a lot of time learning and teaching um, and, and teaching to boards the skills of consensus and uh, consensus decision-making. And there's definitely an overlay of the many voices in the experimental leader and the leader who can listen to many voices and can nurture many voices because I believe it's a more resilient model than a couple of smart people. Very well said. So for you, what what is your vision for your work, right? Where do you go next? What, What are you working towards? I am experimenting like crazy. I'm a, so I had wanted to launch myself as a speaker more with my book, which came out, you know, day 20 of COVID, like April 7th. So Mm. like horrible time to launch a book. And so I had also wanted to create online courses. And so I've been working on that. And I've really realized that it's so important to have, there's so many individual contributors who get promoted, who are so good at what they do. Uh, They might have an MBA in finance and they spend two years doing finance and then they're leading people and they never had a course on leadership. And so I've just realized there's a real place for helping people who want to be high achievers in the leadership area, in the management area, in their, you know, as they have direct reports. And so I'm creating courses and programs that will help bring people the skills that they need to do the work that they're doing. Uh, It breaks my heart how many people are leading and feeling like they're failing. That, that their hearts are just broken all the time because they don't know how to fix it. Well, it's a good sense that you have to say, I'm experimenting with new and different things yourself too. It's yeah. a yeah. good, good yeah. insight. Well, listeners, our guest has been Melanie Parrish. Melanie, we have just so enjoyed having this conversation about experiments and leadership. It's a great combination. Well, I've loved being here with you and I would love to give your listeners a free copy of my digital book. Um, Oh, that's very gracious. And I was going to ask you how we could connect with you and learn more about your work and uh, learn about the book. Yeah. So it's um, if they go to www.digitalbook.experimentalleader.com, they'll get it right away. And uh, it's my gift to your listeners. I love, I've loved being here and it's been really fun to have this really interesting, rich conversation with you guys. Well, great. Thank you. Yes. We do try to maybe get out of just the organizational design and uh, management principle world and talk a little bit about uh, how we can reach a higher level of leadership too. Well, thanks for that offer. And uh, we'll definitely take you up on that. And listeners will put that link in the show notes so that you can click right over and take Melanie's offer of that book. So thank you again for that. Thanks for having me. For sure. And Kirsten, just remind listeners how they can continue the conversation on your soul tea. That's right. So it's every other Friday 
at 12 p.m. Eastern, and you can find the class or the event at www.pureintelliki.com under the classes section, and it is also free. So come grab your tea and join in in thought-provoking, rich conversation. Well, listeners, plenty of great resources here. We have conversations, classes, books for you to download. So come back again for our next episode. We'll continue these conversations with leaders who will reach for their soul's purpose, their full human potential. And that's what IntelliKey is all about. So Kirsten, thanks again for a good show. Thank you, Mark. This has been great. And thank you, Melanie. So we'll see you next time. I'm Mark Stenson for Kirsten Goldie. This is IntelliKey Leadership Stories. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. On behalf of your hosts, Kirsten Gouldie and Mark Stinson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. If you like IntelliKey Leadership Stories, I want to tell you about another podcast I host called Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Each episode features an expert from somewhere around the globe that tells us about how they get inspired, how they organize their ideas, and how they gain the confidence and connections to get their work out into the world. From singer-songwriters to entrepreneurs, on topics like data analytics to hotel management, we talk to experts from Milan and Oslo, Buenos Aires and Los Angeles, all over the globe to bring you the best ideas and inspiring your creative thinking you can find Unlocking Your World of Creativity wherever you listen to podcasts.